Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. And God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding. His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life. It's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious. Think well. Advance good. This is Q. Change itself has changed, and this is something that I, I started talking about back in in Faithquakes '94. That change is no longer incremental; it's, it's exponential. So every, that's why everything's happening so fast. That's why everything's happening so quick. That um, and that, that can be a little dizzying for people. And I, I think we ought to understand that. But we also have Jesus, so you know, we you have we have Jesus, so we can do this. There's an old saying, the only constant is change. Okay, while God may not change his nature, his character, his commitment to his people, that's all constant. Our world just keeps changing. Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons on Faith Radio. I'm Paul Perot. Okay, let's just go back five years to 2017. Donald Trump that year was sworn in as president. Hurricane Irma hit Florida, part of a record-setting hurricane season that year. The first members of Gen Z turned 20. Hardly anyone knew about TikTok videos at that time, and that was two years before we even heard about (laughs) COVID-19. Change. We live in a world of change, and it can be scary. But we don't have to be scared if you know what's coming, what to do, and how to respond. And then you seem to have people who have such a keen insight as to what's coming, how to prepare, and more importantly, what to trust in or who to trust in. Kind of like the sons of Issachar mentioned in First Chronicles 12, who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Gabe, one such person that seems to have this keen insight is your good friend, Leonard Sweet. I don't know if you've ever read a Leonard Sweet book, but this is somebody who has been faithfully for decades now, looking at the future, trying to understand what's God up to, but what are the cultural issues the church is going to have to deal with? And if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know we care a lot about that. I mean, this is part of why Q exists, is we want to ask the really big questions about where the world's going, how does faith intersect with that, how can we lead in a cultural moment where there's a lot of confusion and chaos, and Leonard Sweet is somebody who can be a guide for us. Yeah, he can be. And this and next week, we're going to listen again to a conversation you had with Leonard Sweet back at the start of 2020. It was a conversation around his 2019 book written with the help of Mark Sharona called Rings of Fire, Walking in Faith Through a Volcanic Age. In it, he lists about 25 rings of fire, these volcanic changes that we will or really we are living through now. These disruptive changes in economics, communications, bioethics, and oh boy, that list goes on. Gabe, I remember then when you and Leonard were talking, Leonard wasn't trying to scare us or freak us out. There's a certain shepherding that he's doing to help us prepare ourselves to address these changes well. And Leonard Sweet cares about us as leaders understanding where the future is going, what we should be thoughtful about and concerned about, but also in conclusion, why we don't really need to be all that concerned at all because of Christ. So let's listen and know.
Well, Lynn, it is great to have you on the Q podcast. This is the first time ever. And so it's just fun for our audience to get to hear from you. And as I've told them about you, you are somebody who's just been a prophet, somebody who thinks about the future, who predicts some things. And and now with this track record of, of over the last 20 years, I mean, back in 99, when you wrote Soul Tsunami, you were doing the same thing. And it's just it's amazing that it's been 20 years, but that you're still doing the same thing for leaders, for the church to think through where the world's going and how we ought to engage it, especially as the church. And so thank you for that. Thank you for, thank you for your faithfulness over the many years. Well, I'm glad to uh, appreciate you recognizing that and um, appreciate that. I, I, I have actually a, a whole set of doctoral students that I work with. I'm in my 18th year, Gabe, with um, students just working in something called semiotics. And that's really what I do in this, in Rings of Fire and what I did in, in, um, you know, soul tsunami. Before that, actually, in '94, I did faith quake. So, hmm. the, this attempt to really help people to read the signs and then know what to do about it. So, yeah. So, I, I'm raising up a whole tribe of Issacharians. So, <laughs> well, we love. Well, we we love that. I mean, one of the practices we talk about that has just been a part of the church and has to be a part of the church is embracing the context that we're in. So we, we understand it, but then we understand God's called us into this moment. So we got to bring our best. We need to be smart. We need to be informed. And I feel like that's what you're doing. And your new book rings of fire has just been such a good read for me to start to get my thinking there, because these are the things, I mean, I love reading about the future. I love thinking about it. God's given me a passion towards that. And so when I read your words and the way you're thinking about it, um, there's resonance. It challenges me on areas I haven't delved into enough. Uh, and so today, I just want our audience to get to hear just big picture more about you since they maybe haven't read Soul Tsunami. They don't, they don't even know who Dr. Leonard Sweet is, and I want them to just hear a little more about you. So let's, let's go back to just a little bit of your story here, and then we'll jump into the hot topics of our moment. We'll look ahead over the next 20 years and some of the predictions you're making and the ways we should think about it. But help people get acquainted with, I mean, back in 94 when you wrote that that book, uh, and you've written 25 books, so you've written a lot of books, but take us back to just a moment when there wasn't a lot of people talking about the kind of things you were talking about then. You know, There, there was a comfort in the church. There was a sense that, hey, everything's comfortable in American life. Things are fine. And yet you were kind of disruptive and, you know, that had its, I'm sure, advantages, but some disadvantages to people not understanding who you were and what you were trying, were you trying to destroy the church or deconstruct the church? But in, in a sense, you were so passionately concerned about the church that you were willing to say some things that people weren't willing to say. So take me back to, to those years for you. And well, just, I'll give you one little, one little image, um, because you're exactly right. I, you know, I love the church and that's why I care about it so much. And, uh, so I was raising up kind of this cry in the wilderness that things are going to change and it's going to, it's coming quick and all this kind of stuff. And, and one bishop, uh, I'm from the tribe called United Methodist and one bishop had me in to work with his cabinet and, and some other leaders. And, and on a break, when we came back after the break in the morning, he went up and he said, this is why I've decided, finally decided what sweet is. And so he goes up on the board and he draws this bug and then um, puts all these, like, what I thought were wires at the time. And then he, I sat there, I'm looking at this, he goes, doesn't anybody get it? It's a hairy tick. And so he drew this, <laughs> this, this tick with, with hair all sticking out, like it was frazzled. And, and so um, I, I've kind of been, that's the, um, the hairy tick. Uh, 
And all, all I was doing was just calling the church to these are the, the you cannot, you know, get comfortable. There's a whole change coming and it's going to offend everything. And, and but, well, yeah. Well, one of the, one of the things you, you write in this book, especially when we're talking about artificial intelligence and genetic engineering and robotics and some of the future that we know is upon us, but that most people would rather turn their head and not think about it. They'd rather just say, this isn't going to happen, or if it happens, I'll figure it out as it comes. And they almost don't have the stomach to look it in the face and go, this is my new reality. This is our family's new reality, our children, the people we're called to minister and disciple to, our community's new reality. And what what is it about us as human beings that we just want to look away from these things? Yeah, I I, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's a really good, I wish I knew the answer to that question. Yeah. Just fear of the unknown, I guess, right? Just Yes, yeah. And, but it's uh, part of our mandate is to um, be present to the times that we're in. I mean, again, to serve this present age, our calling to fulfill. That's a Charles Wesley song. And, and so part of the challenge for me has always been, what does it mean to serve this present age, my calling to fulfill? It's not an age I would have picked. It's not an age that I even like, but... This is the age that God gave me. And for us to think that one day we're going to be able to meet our maker and say, you know, I didn't really like that age you gave me. So I, I did really effective ministry for the 1970s. And I was so good for the 1970s. Yeah, But this is the 21st century. You got 22nd century kids. Yeah, but I really didn't like that moment you gave me. Yeah. I don't think that's going to work for us. Right. And, and I mean, part of what's so wild about this particular moment, and you said, you know, sometimes you dislike this age. But there's the chaos of it, right? There's there's so much happening at this moment that we know about. And maybe in previous centuries there was a lot happening, and we just didn't know about it. But but now because of our ability to stay informed, to read about it, to understand, to see the news, to to be aware of way more information than maybe mentally we were, we were really capable of knowing how to synthesize or process, I think it can leave people just feeling paralyzed. And what you do is you lead us through it and you go, look, we don't need to be paralyzed by this. Let's just take a, take a moment here. Let's let, you know, read my book, Rings of Fire. Let's, let's walk through what it's going to look like to advance into this new age. And, And maybe you could just help us understand when you look at the context, you know, the whole first part of your book gets into some of the big hot zones, you call them. Can you just describe for us, uh, for you, what are, what are, what are the ways we should be thinking about the hot zones, the especially in American life, since a lot of our listeners will be American that are listening to this? What what are you seeing as as we look at the next decade or two, what we're needing to be aware of that's just unique about this moment, maybe compared to 20, 30, 40 years ago? Well, there, there's so many. What, what you already mentioned it, Gabe, and that is the change itself has changed. And this is something that I, I started talking about back in, in Faithquakes 94, that that change is no longer incremental, it's, it's exponential. So every, that's why everything's happening so fast. That's why everything's happening so quick. That, um, and that, that can be a little dizzying for people. And I, I think we ought to understand that. But we also have Jesus. So, you know, we, you have, we have Jesus. So we can do this. But um, I, think, I think one of the biggest uh, challenges that, that we've got to come up with right now is that um, – this is, a, this is a culture that is profoundly not just post-Christian, but anti-Christian, and it's becoming more so. And that does not mean, and I, I spent a whole lot of time in this book, as you know, talking about the problem with secularization theory. And yeah. this is a culture that is not secular. This is a culture that is wrapped and warped 
and riven in in spirituality. It is a deeply spiritual culture. So it's just not a Christian culture. And so I talk about sacralization, not secularization. Mm -hmm. And and we become out there in this culture, we become polytheistic. There are many, many gods. We become plural theistic. That's one vast synthesis of all the religions in this pantheon of gods. And and so the, the whole secularization theory that that academics have loved to talk about for the last 34 years, I call an academic hoax. It is not the reality in which we live. We live in a deeply, this culture turns everything it touches into an idol. Yeah. Uh, and, and everything is sacred for it. I mean, sports, we're coming up on the Super Bowl. I mean, this is a sacred ritual for crying out loud. For, right. for the, for, so let, let's, get rid, let's get some categorical um, clarity here that we do not live in a secular culture. It's a deeply sacral, sacred culture, but where, which is profoundly hostile to Christianity. Yeah. And to say that this culture is anti-Christian, I mean, that's a, there's a season where if you were to say that 30 years ago, you were seen as an alarmist, you were seen as, you know, a right winger, you were seen as somebody who was, was saying this, the sky is falling, but now Leonard Sweet is saying we're in an anti-Christian culture. And and the dynamics of being in an anti-Christian versus a friendly to Christian culture are very different, very different in how we engage with our neighbors, what we understand about the way our neighbors perceive us. I know some of the, the research that David Kinnaman and I did for our book, Good Faith, laid out You know, 46% of Americans think religion is part of the problem. Now, of course, their definition of religion was was a little different than what we're talking about. They don't, they don't sometimes see the religions they're living by. Because they don't call them religions, they they see themselves as non-religious. But to your point, you know, I was looking at the the Twitter data that they've compiled over the last three and a half years, where they look at the hashtags, the conversations, and when they remove politics and they remove sports from the conversations, the the one of the top trends is DIY spirituality that people are talking about. Do it yourself spirituality, which is what you're saying. You pull from what you want, take the little piece here and there, create your own version of God, and then go out and live that and feel good about yourself. That's yeah, so, all my truth, my truth, my truth. Y- yes, that's right. And and you'd mentioned that in this book, you know, the idea of this individual truth, you know, is kind of the new way of of approaching truth. And so, uh, you know, as you as you think about the hot zones, one, one of the things I want you to comment more on, though, is you talk about the disunited states of America. You have a whole chapter on this idea of how we're seeing America start to come apart and we're losing union, we're losing that sense of one people for one time. Uh, talk about the effects that could have over the next decade and and how the church uniquely could play a role in being some healing balm for what's taking place. Well, it, that, that was the hardest chapter gave for me to write. And I and many times writing that chapter, and it was a lot longer. I actually thought at one point of making it into a book, but um, I, I just, I don't want to I don't want to go down that way. You know, I just, it's so painful to talk about it, but our kids are not going to live in the same United States of America that we did. I mean, this, we are seeing some things happen and partly, let me just say, partly it's part of the whole mediated living that we our mediated lives. Um, I mean, you, you cannot take a walk through the world without viewing that walk through the lens of mediation. Everything we do is focused on social media. I mean, you, I, when I grew up and you probably too, um, our parents taught there was appropriate dress for a certain occasion. So you, when you went to grandma's, you dress for grandma. When you went to 
church, you dress for the church. Uh, that's all gone. Kids dress for how they're going to look on Instagram when they take a selfie of the picture of them there. It, it, the new default setting, the new context default is not the context itself. It's the world of, of media. So the mediated, uh, and Thomas, uh, they, what, what's the guy's name? They, they Zogatia or whatever. He wrote a book called mediated that I really, it was very influential to me. I can't remember his last name, but he, he, he talked about this, this mediation and this, this new mindfulness of mediation, I think is how he put it. So that's one thing. But the second thing is in this world of social media, there's a, a new monetization that, Again, when I when I started out, you you subscribe to a journal. You you paid money to get the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or or the Economist or or uh, you, you paid for a subscription. Now that's gone. What enables all these uh, sites, these mediated sites, to to exist is advertising, and advertising is based on clicks and engagement. And that's what fuels and funds uh, media. So you've got, they've got to keep people clicking. They've got to keep people engaged so that they've got the advertising revenue that they need. Well, how do you keep people engaged? Well, one is clickbait, deception. And the other is, and I hate to say this, but it's deception and enragement. You, en you enrage to engage. So all these sites keep you enraged because that keeps you engaged and that keeps you that keeps their revenue stream going. So we've got media itself enraging us. And part of that enragement is separating us from each other, uh, deep fake world, uh, alternative facts, troll farms. You all know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And that is ripping this social fabric and fiber apart. Yeah. And, and if, if we as church leaders, those who are responsible for discipling those within our care are not aware of that reality, that our context has changed so dramatically that how we relate to one another is different. Uh, and and I, I guess the question that it seems hard for people to to really land on, and I'm curious if you've landed on this, but, but you know, you look at technology sometimes, and, and I don't know your opinion on every technology, but but the sense that technology is neutral can be an assumption that a lot of people have versus technologies having bias towards certain behavior and biases towards, um, you know, negative, uh, a negative approach to something or a positive approach. For example, a gun is biased towards violence, right? So, so maybe you're using it to hunt, um, not necessarily kill somebody, but, but that's a bias that it has. It's not a neutral bias. Um, when you look at the future of how technologies are developing, such as social media, such as us getting more comfortable with the phone being in our hand and somewhat attached to us and uh, looked at as a direct tool that we must utilize to communicate now to much broader uh, groups of people than beyond just our local community or those who know us. Are you seeing that this starting to, to take shape and you would say, hey, some, some of this media is biased towards a post-human era that we need to be hyper aware of and the church ought to be shouting from the rooftops, be careful, tread carefully, Let's let's pull back here for a second. Let's recognize how this technology is reshaping our imagination, how we're thinking, how we're talking to one another. Uh, or would you just say, hey, this is just part of how progress advances. It's scary at, at the beginning, but we need to embrace it and utilize it, in, you know, instrumentally for our own purposes. No, well, you know, I think, of course, I, I'm going to uh, I'm an incarnationalist. So 
I want to incarnate the gospel in whatever that culture is. But Jesus said, you're in the world, in that culture, but don't be of it. And so I, I think you're exactly right. Every culture, every technology has a certain bias. And, but it's not just the church's job. It's the parent's job. It's the job of the home, the family, the church, the community to say to these kids, um, I mean, I was a bookworm and my parents were constantly worried about me being a bookworm, what that was going to do to me. Because that technology just fed and fueled my own uh, introversion, you know, and and so th- there were remedies, there were implications of what it meant for me to do this way. So the phrase I use is parents, we need for our kids, we need to not to isolate them, but to insulate them. And part of that insulation is missing. The church is not being insulating its, its, its people. The families are not insulating its people. It, it is a, we are in a dangerous situation. We just send our kids into this world. I, I, I grew up with a, a mentality of there were certain words you didn't say because they had power to take you over. There were bad words. Don't say those words because they can take you yeah. over. Well, you think words are bad. Images are even worse. Images can take you over in a minute. And so we have an ethic of words. We have no ethic of images. If there are certain words you should never say, maybe there's some images you should never see. And if you do, you need repentance and you need cleansing rituals. My grandma, I'm from West Virginia, she had a cleansing ritual when I had bad words. And, and uh, <laughs> Did it involve soap in your mouth? <laughs> that's exactly. So this is what we're talking about. I think you're exactly right. We've got, but that's up to the church to do that. It's up to the family to do that. And we are not even asking those questions, Gabe. Yeah, well, I think there's this tension in the church, and I, I see it illustrated in some of the highest intellectual levels of, of Christianity, evangelicalism, where, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with Rod Dreher, wrote a book called The Benedict Option a few years ago that, you know, really, really struck out a bit of a vision that, that looked as if the church and Christians and that he was advocating should pull back from some of these cultural spaces that we're inhabiting and actually get our own families in order, get our own churches in order, connect more, network better as institutions, because we're being taken over by a wave of of both, as he would describe, secularism, but also of of new forms of culture that we're we're undoubtedly completely unprepared for. And to just blindly continue to say, we're just gonna be in the world and not of it, and yet not actually have the 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 core community around you on the same page theologically or philosophically about how to engage this, that we will be so weak, we'll just be completely overrun. And, and I know he gets lambasted for having that perspective, but as I hear you talk, and I know in my own thinking, there's value to thinking that way. There's value into saying, hey, if we're in the long game here, there's moments where with your kids, with your family, with your church, uh, that there's there's something to be said about putting some guardrails up and saying, we're, we need to be wise. We need to go deeper with those who are within our care and shepherding them and preparing them for this world. And sometimes that might seem a little uh, as if we're, we're backing off of our mission to go into the world. But how, how are you seeing that? Well, I, that's, that's where I, I feel exactly like you do about that book, and in some ways, the way, the way you presented it, because I think he diagnoses our problem and our challenge. But the game is not the huddle. I mean, you do need to huddle. And families need to huddle. The church needs to huddle. We all need to huddle. But the game is not the huddle. You come out of the huddle yeah. and down the field. And that's where, again, you huddle to insulate, to prepare, to strategize, to warn. This is what, this is what the lay of the land is. But God did not call his church to huddle. We are yeah. there to huddle 
only long enough to come out of that huddle and go down the field in ministry and mission. So I, I want, I fall between the cracks. I want huddle time, but I want mission time. I want field time down the yeah. field. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I get the, the people who want to stay all life in the huddle don't like the mission part. The people who like the mission part don't like the huddle part. <laughs> okay, we got to hit the pause button right there in Gabe's conversation with theologian and futurist Leonard Sweet, author of many books like Soul Tsunami, Contextual Intelligence, which he co-wrote with Michael Adam Beck, and the 2019 book Gabe and Len were just talking about, Rings of Fire. It's great how Leonard has been writing with other intriguing thinkers. A new book is coming out this month called Tell Us, The Hope of Heaven Today, which he co-wrote with Len Wilson. And if you're thinking that the two are just writing about heaven in the sky and the sweet by and by, Len Wilson recently explained it's not what we often think. I'm writing a book right now with Len Sweet, and we're exploring an idea that the kingdom is actually... Telos. There's a Greek word that is used frequently when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. And telos can be properly understood as the end or the purpose. It's the end of history. It's the purpose of life is telos. Telos being God's presence. That that we've been thinking about the kingdom wrong. That everything begins and ends with the presence of God. Again, that was Len Wilson, co-author with Leonard Sweet of the new book, Tell Us. In fact, on Faith Radio this coming Wednesday, December 14th, on Mornings with Carmen, Carmen plans to talk with Len Wilson about the book. It'll be in the second hour of Carmen's Morning Show that day that you can listen to between 7 and 8 o'clock Central on your Faith Radio station or on the live stream at MyFaithRadio.com or on the Faith Radio app. Thanks again for listening. Gabe will continue this conversation with Leonard Sweet about his book, Rings of Fire, next week. We hope you listen. Now, if you can't wait, yes, the conversation is up on the Q Media platform at qideas.com for all subscribers. If you're not a subscriber, remember you can request a 30-day trial subscription. That way you can go listen to the rest of this conversation with Leonard Sweet. Otherwise, listen next week. I'm Paul Perot from Faith Radio. Thanks again for spending time with us on Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Blessings. We'll see you next time. This show is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.